Good morning, Clover Hill. We good this morning? How we doing? 11 o'clock service, looking good. Man, so excited to be with you guys this morning. Anybody excited for God's Word? Hope you're as excited as I am today about it. Hey, if you have your Bible, go to the book of 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have it, that's okay. We'll have it up on the screens here in just a second. I want to get right in reading this scripture, but super quick, this guy John that's writing this, this letter in 1 John, he's, he's not writing about what he heard about Jesus or what some priest or pastor told him about Jesus. This guy John was with Jesus. He lived among him. He followed him around like the person of Jesus. He sat down and had meals with Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people. He listened to the way Jesus talked with people. Like, this was a guy that knew how Jesus lived. He saw it. He experienced it. And so now he's writing to us in the book of 1 John with some instruction, with some guidance on our faith journey and how to live and how Jesus lived. And here's what John tells us. John says this in 1 John 2, verse number 3. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, is there anybody today at the 11 o'clock that wants to obey his word? It says, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Then he finishes with this. He says, this is how we know we are in him. This is the test. This is how you know if you're in Christ. Not what you say, not what you proclaim. This is how you know. He says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So for a few moments this morning that we have together, I want to talk to us about living as Jesus did. About living as Jesus did. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God's help for him to speak to us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that's in this place as we've sung and as we've worshiped you. And Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit right now would be our teacher, that you would show us what your word is saying to us, God. I pray that you would do what I cannot do in these moments, and that is change our hearts. God, we need to hear from you today. God, we need to leave this place not going to a, having gone to a service or hearing a sermon, but we need to leave this place having heard from you, God, having experienced your presence. And so we ask that you would speak to us, would you transform our heart and life, have your way in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty safe in today's world to assume uh, most people are at least on or aware of social media, right? We on the same page here. Social media, anybody love social media out there? <laughs> Y'all are all liars. Y'all are all on social media. <laughs> social media, right? Social media is, is, is the culture we live in today. And, and uh, a few years back or so, I guess there was kind of this phenomenon that started sweeping across social media known as the selfie. Right? Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, just taking a picture of yourself, like, I'm at church, woo, you know, or whatever, like, whatever you're doing, however you're with, selfie, taking a picture of yourself. Selfies always kind of made me laugh, you know, like when I was looking through my feed, like, selfies just kind of made me chuckle, There's, you know, whatever, just the idea of them. Anyway, there was this one particular kind of selfie that just really, really made me laugh and really caught my attention, and that was the gym selfie. 
You know, when someone's at the gym and they t- take a picture in the mirror of themselves or whatever. And the reason this one was kind of funny, uh, it was a friend of mine, and uh, this is not gossip. I've talked to him about this. And uh, he, 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 he took this picture at Gold's Gym in the mirror or whatever, kind of like flexing, showing his muscles or whatever, with like all these heavy weights around him and stuff. And the reason it was so funny was because he looks like me. <laughs> Tall and scrawny, man, that's it. All these kids at youth camp call me the scrawny white preacher, you know, like. Like, this dude looked like Spongebob, you know what I mean? And he's sitting in the gym, like, taking a selfie, like, around all these weights, whatever. And I'm just going to my feet, and I just see that. And I'm like, bro, I know you can't lift that. <laughs> like, this was so funny to me. It just caught my attention. Like, he, here's what he was doing. He, he was associating himself with Gold's Gym. He was associating himself with weightlifting and, and muscles and, and building and all this kind of stuff. But listen, nothing about him showed me that was true. He was associating with it, but looking at him, nothing about him showed me that what he was associating with was really happening, was really true. Listen, we live in a world today where it is so easy to associate with the things of God. It is so easy to associate with Jesus and his church and his word But Jesus is not after just us associating with him. Jesus wants us to look like him. Jesus doesn't just want people to claim that they're tied with him, but not look like him. Jesus, his desire and his call to all followers of him is to not just claim to be with him, but to live a life that shows they've been with him. To live a life that looks like they know God. See, Jesus doesn't just want to save people, but he wants to transform us. Jesus is not just after salvation, but he's after transformation. When you say yes to God, when God forgives you and saves you, that is not the end where you put the rest of your journey on cruise control. That is the beginning to your journey where God begins to mold you and shape you and transform you into who he wants you to be. The life of a follower of Jesus is defined by being transformed day after day to look more like him. Jesus' love and his grace doesn't just save us, but it changes us and transforms us. And we see this all throughout the scripture. Jesus meets with people. They hear about him. They, they, They experience his love and his grace. And then something changes. Something begins to shift. In Luke 19, when Jesus meets with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a thug and a liar and a thief. And then he met Jesus, and then he was a man of integrity and generosity. Like something changed. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well, and this woman has a broken past, and she's driven by guilt and shame, and she doesn't want to be around people, yet she hears that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Messiah, and immediately she goes and begins to tell those she was just ashamed of about Jesus. Something changed. Something in her life began to change. Jesus is is there one day, and these guys bring this woman that was caught in adultery to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus extends grace to her, and he loves her, and he says, I don't condemn you. He doesn't condemn her, but then he looks at her and he says, now go and sin no more. He extends grace and he extends love, but he addresses, don't live like this anymore. Don't do this again. See, there's a change, there's a transformation. 
See, Jesus, he, he came, the scripture says Jesus came full of two things. He came full of grace and full of truth. Jesus is gracious and he's quick to forgive and his grace abounds. He always leads with grace, but Jesus never leaves out truth. See, Jesus extended grace to this woman caught in adultery, but he also gave her the truth. This is sin. Do not live in this anymore. It's the grace of God mixed with the truth of God that transforms us into who he wants us to be. Anybody thankful God doesn't just want to save us, but he wants to transform us? God wants to not just save us for one day, but he wants to put us on a journey to continue to look like him and honor him with our life. God wants to change and wants to transform us. The very nature of salvation indicates a direction of change. When, when we come to know God, we, we do it by repenting of our sins. Repenting. The word repentance, it's a very simple word. The word repent just means to change your mind. To change your mind or to change direction. So how repentance looks is, this is the way I was going. This is the way I was living. This is the way I thought and talked and worked. And this was life. And then when I come to know Jesus, when I experience his grace and his love, and his love captures my heart, now I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my direction. Instead of going this way, now I'm going to turn away from the world and change my mind and go towards Christ. The very nature of repentance, the very nature of salvation indicates that things are changing. The direction of your life is now going in a different way. Repentance is just changing your mind. God beginning to transform you and change you into who God wants you to be. And listen, the awesome news this morning is, is that God wants to save you. Did you know that? Look, if you're in here and you're far from God, you don't know God, you were invited by a friend, you just rolled up in here. Like, the good news today is God wants to save you. God wants to forgive you. You are not too far gone. You cannot out the grace of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and lived the perfect life you couldn't live and died the death you deserved to die so that he could save you, so that he could forgive you. God wants to save you. And if you are saved, if you do know him, if you have put your faith in him, God now wants to transform you. God wants to change you. God wants to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. This is not a stagnant journey. This is, this is a, a journey of movement and progress. God wants to begin to change you. You know, in James chapter 2, James says it like this. He says, faith without works or faith without deeds is dead. In other words, a, a faith that doesn't move you to action is not even real faith at all. A faith that doesn't work itself out and play itself out in your life isn't true faith at all. So faith without works is dead. Listen, Jesus, he will love you, and he will save you, and he will forgive you just as you are. But he loves you too much for you to stay there. He loves you too much for you to continue to be where you are. Just because Jesus has forgiven us and saved us doesn't mean there's parts of our life doesn't mean there's not parts of our life that don't look like him. You know, in the beginning of time when God's people, the nation of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt and God set them free. God saved them. God delivered them through signs and wonders and miracles. 
God saved his people out of slavery and brought them out. But the problem was they had been set free, but they didn't live free. They had been set free, but they still thought like slaves. They had been set free, but their attitude and the way they talked was still like they were enslaved. See, just because they had been set free didn't mean they were living free. Are you with me? I think there's so many believers that God has set free, but we have yet to live a life of freedom. God has set us free, but we, we need to live free. We need to align our life with the grace and the love that he's given us. And look, no matter who you are in this room today, we all have room to grow. Did you know this? If you've known God for five minutes or you've known God for 55 years, you have parts of your life that God needs to work on. No one on this planet has arrived. None of us have made it until the day we see Jesus face to face. God has got work he wants to do in our hearts. There's parts of our life that God wants to begin to mold and transform to make us look more like him. So the good news is no matter where you are in your journey, there's work for us to do. There's work that God wants to do. No one has made it. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. Oh, come on, tell them like you mean it. Tell them like you know them. You ain't perfect. <laughs> so there's three things today that I have that I thought I would give us that are going to encourage us and challenge us to help us look more like God, to help us look more like him, to move from where we are to where God wants us to be. Are you with me? Are you ready for the first one? Are you ready? The first one is this, obedience. 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 There's a, a story in Matthew chapter 17 called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an amazing story. Here's how the story starts in Matthew 17 verse 1. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Okay, so Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he had his inner circle, his, his three that were closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And he goes to those three and he goes, hey guys, we're going to go on a hike. We're going to go on a journey. We're going to go up the mountain by ourselves. So this is kind of cool. This is kind of special for these guys already. Jesus has taken them somewhere. And then the story begins to get crazy. Here's what it says. It says, there, up on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. The word transfigured, it's not a word we use every day, but it just means to be made more beautiful. To change, to begin to look more beautiful. So we don't exactly know how this looks, but Jesus began to transfigure before them. And then it gives us a few more details. It says this, his face shone like the sun. Does anybody else think sometimes the Bible's kind of crazy? You just read it, you're like, yeah, his face shone like the sun. And you just keep reading like that's not crazy. Anybody got friends whose face shines like the sun? No, I didn't think so. Jesus' face starts to shine, it says. And then it says not only that, but his clothes become as white as the light. And then to add to this, it says just then in verse 3, appeared before them Moses. Okay, Moses. Like the guy in the Old Testament that God spoke to with the burning bush. The guy with the ten plagues in Egypt to deliver God's people. The guy who parted the Red Sea and crossed on dry ground. Like the guy in the wilderness who hit a rock with a stick and water came out of it. Like hero, legend of the faith, Moses is there talking with Jesus who's glowing. 
If I was Peter, James, and John, I'd be like, what the world? And then to add to it, Elijah, the scripture says. Like Elijah, a prophet of God in the Old Testament. Elijah caused a drought to happen in the land. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Elijah raised a dead guy to life. Miracle-working guy. Hero of the faith. God used him in the Old Testament. And Elijah's right there. Moses, Elijah, glowing Jesus, talking up on the mountain. And then, I love verse 4. Here's what verse 4 says. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. (laughs) Jesus, this is awesome. Whoa. And then he keeps going. He said, if you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's like, Jesus, this is awesome. This is so cool. If you want, I'll build three shelters, and each of you can just stay in one. We can just be here for a while. And as he's talking, he gets interrupted. Don't you love that? While he's still speaking, verse 5 says, a bright cloud covered them. Okay, so now that comes and adds to the scene, a bright cloud. And a voice from the cloud, this is the voice of God, the voice of the Father, saying this. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Then it says the disciples were scared. They fell down to their face. Jesus was like, don't be afraid, get up. They get up, Moses, Elijah, the cloud, everything's gone. Scene winds down, they walk down the mountain, that's it. If you're anything like me, you're like, what was all that for? Like it seems like the story's building, like something's happening. They're going up the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. Moses and Elijah, the cloud, the voice, and it's over. It's as if the whole scene is building. It's as if everything is happening for God to say what he said. Like what God was saying must have been important. What God was saying must have been massive. God must have been trying to get their attention. And what God says to them is simply this. This is Jesus. Listen to him. Listen. Like, ready? Jesus is going to tell you to do things. Do it. Jesus is going to tell you to go some places. Go there. Jesus is going to tell you to say some things. Say it. Jesus is going to tell you to give up some things. Give them up. This is Jesus. This is my son. Listen to him. I think this is God's word to us today. Jesus is God. Listen to him. Jesus is God. Listen to him. Did you know there's power in your obedience? There's power in your obedience to God. The quickest way for you to get from where you are right now to where God wants to take you is through obedience to him. Quickest way for you to get from where you are to where God wants you to be is obedience. Look, it's just like a GPS. If you type in a destination or an address, it knows the traffic and the shortcuts and the construction and everything, and it puts together the fastest route for you to get somewhere. And look, you can disobey a GPS. Did you know that? Of course you know that. You miss turns all the time. Right? Like it says, turn right and we go straight. You know what I mean? Or turn right and we go left. Or we... And guess what? You can miss 100 turns and you'll still get there. Why? Because it'll reroute you. You know what I mean? But the only problem is it takes you longer and it costs you more. You can disobey it, but it'll just take you longer and cost you more. Because it'll reroute you. And look, I'm so thankful that we serve a God of the second, third, fourth, and 5,000th chance. Anybody with me? 
this morning, that you can walk in disobedience and you can have dark days and bad times and God will give you another chance and God will reroute and God will forgive and God will restore and God will redeem. You are never too far gone, but the problem with disobedience is it will just cost you more. It will take you longer to get where God has for you. If you want the quickest route, not the easiest route, not the most convenient route, but the quickest route for you to get from where you are to where God has for you is for you to listen to God and do what he says. Obedience. Listening to God and doing what he says. You know, at, at our home, uh, please pray for my wife, Anna. I'm terrible around the home. Particularly like in the kitchen and stuff. I cook a mad bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. That's it. I'm terrible. She's got to do everything. She's found a few things, you know, that I can kind of help with. And one of them is when she does the laundry, I'll take out the clothes that have just got done in the dryer and just kind of like fold them or set them, you know, so they don't get wrinkled or whatever if she's gone. So she'll have a load in the laundry, and then she'll have to run somewhere or do something. She'll be like, hey, in 30 minutes, it's going to go off. Just take it out and, and, and fold it and kind of stuff. I'm like, I got you, girl. I can do that. Ain't no problem. And so she'll go. She'll go home, and then she'll come back, and, and, and when she gets home, she'll be like, hey, hey, Nate, did you, did you do the laundry? I'll be like, hey, listen, girl. <laughs> listen to this. Um, while you were gone, while you were gone, I looked up so many ways to do laundry. Oh, it was ridiculous. Like, there's all these websites that are so good. Did, did you know there's like 20 different ways you can do laundry? It's amazing. It's amazing all the different ways that are out there. Like, I, I learned different folding methods for t-shirts. Like, you know the shirts you got? Like, you can fold them in like nine ways. Oh, crazy. And even, I learned all that, but then, but then I had some guys from church, and we had a small group. They, 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 they came over, and we talked about laundry. Woo. We, we had great discussion about laundry, and we kind of asked questions and just shared our heart a little bit about laundry. And we had a great discussion. It was amazing. We talked about the laundry. Look, how, how many know, she would look at me and say, okay, that's fine. Did you do it? And if I say no, who cares about all that other stuff, right? Like, I can know, and I can learn, and I can talk about it. But at the end of the day, what she wants to know is, did you do what I asked you to do? Look, it's very easy and very convenient to know and to talk about the things of God. It's a different thing to do them. I think many believers are educated beyond their level of obedience. We need to learn more about God, but even more, we need to obey what we already know. We need to listen to God and do what he says. Listen to God and do what he says. And listen, in order to do what God is asking, we have to know what he's asking, and we know from his word. Look, if you don't know the word, if you don't know what God is saying, you won't be able to obey what he's saying. Are you with me? We got to be a people. We got to be a church of the word. Getting 30 minutes of word on Sunday is not going to cut it. Getting 30 minutes of word every first Wednesday is not going to cut it. We got to be a people of the word that get in the word and know the word so we know what to obey. If we don't know what God is saying, we won't be able to obey. But as we get in the word and hear what God is saying, then we can listen to God and do what he says. Listen to God and do what he says. Jesus says in John 14, he puts it simply, he says, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. Look, loving God isn't something you just declare by professing with your mouth. It's something you show by the way you live your life. We don't know that 
we love God by what we say. We know we love God by the way we live, by what we do. Jesus says, if you love me, obey. Obey my commands. And listen, me and you, let's just acknowledge right up front today, me and you are not perfect and will never be perfect. Come on, somebody acknowledge this morning, you're not perfect. We will never arrive. You will never be perfect until we see Jesus face to face. But listen, a follower of Jesus should never be comfortable with disobedience. Did you hear me? A follower of Jesus should never be comfortable with disobedience. Look, as long as we live on a fallen world, as, as long as we are breathing on this earth, we will struggle with sin, but it's not okay to snuggle with sin. You with me this morning? We will have this struggle as long as we live in this broken world. But it is, it is okay to struggle, but it is not okay to snuggle and be comfortable and convenient around your sin. A follower of Jesus is pursuing Jesus, and they're gonna, we're going to fall down, but we're going to get back up. We're going to mess up, but we're going to repent, and we're going to love God, and we're going to ask for God's help and do everything we can to serve and obey God. I won't always have it all together, but I'm always going to get back up and run back to Jesus. I won't always do it right, but the times I don't, I'm going to get back up, and by God's grace and mercy, I'm going to do better the next time. We're going to go after Jesus and strive to obey him in every way that we can. So the first one is obedience. The second thing is this, is train yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, train yourself. Oh, come on, say it like you mean it. Train yourself. Look, Paul says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, look at this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict what? Training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He says, hey, look, in this journey, in this race, Anyone that competes in the race, anyone that runs the race, they have to do what? They go into strict training. Paul says they train. And then again, he says in 1 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and he says this in chapter 4. He says, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. And then he says, physical training is of some value. He goes, hey, physical fitness, that's good. It's, it's, it's valuable, you'll feel better, you'll live longer, all this kind of stuff. He goes, that's fine. But he says, but godliness has value for all things. So look, he says, hey, physical training, good. Spiritual training, better. In 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, people that compete, they train. They go into training. And then he's writing to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to look like Christ. In both these passages, what Paul is doing is he's comparing spiritual training to physical training. Comparing spiritual training to physical training. And so I, I just began to think like this. Help me out, Pastor Andrew. So if, if I had a physical goal, like a training goal of, of gaining some weight and some muscle and not looking like SpongeBob or something, if that was my goal, I would go to a trainer and the trainer would probably get me started with what? Like, I'd probably have to lift some weights. Right? You with me? Probably have to lift a little bit. And so, if he gave me my first exercise was to, to lift this twice, and I'm, it's my first day, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to see some progress, and I lift twice, one, two, and I stop. And now I'm getting mad. Because I look at my arms. 
and it's still small. Like, why is this not working? Are you serious? I just did that, and I'm still small. Forget this. I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, look, look. I would never do that, right? Like, someone physically training would never pick up two weights and then get frustrated because they're not growing and quit. What would you have to do in order to physically train and get where you want to be? Well, well, maybe today we would have to go and we would have to lift a little bit, right? And then tomorrow, what would we have to do? Well, we'd have to go and probably do a little bit more, right? Work a little bit. And then the next day, go, go, work a little bit. And the next, and the next, and the next, next. And after days and weeks and months and years, guess what would begin to happen? Begin to grow. Begin to see progress. You would begin to grow. And Paul's comparing spiritual training to physical training. He's saying, look, man, you, you got to train yourself. You got to put in the work. I think some of us spiritually training ourselves, man, like we have, we have anger. Or we have emotions in our heart that we know don't honor God. And so we come to the word of God and we spend four minutes in prayer. And then we get distracted and we don't feel different. So we give up. Like, man, I'm still angry. I don't get this. I'm done. It's not working, right? We're like, man, yeah, like I... Saw that scripture and I read it, but, I, but I'm still like, still, it's not helping me. I don't feel different. Like, no, 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 no. Just like you would physically train, Paul says, train to be spiritual. So, so what do we do? Today, let's get in his word. Let's get in his presence. Let's seek God and grow a little bit. Say, man, I don't feel different. I don't feel like I'm growing. That, that's okay. Tomorrow, let's go after God a little bit more. Let's do it again. Say, man, I... I still don't get it. I still don't understand really what I'm reading. I still don't really feel God. Say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. The next day, let's work a little bit again. Let's go a little bit again. Pursue God some more. Let's train. And what happens after days and weeks and months and years, what happens? Your faith muscle begins to grow. Begin to look more like God. Man, my prayer and my hope for us as a people and as a church is that we would get a determination in a grit, in a never give up spirit that says, I'm going to train myself to look like God. I mean, I don't have it together all the time. Every time I get with Jesus, I don't feel different or things might not change immediately, but I'm going to pursue God daily. I'm going to train myself to be godly. I'm going to keep doing everything I can. And over time, we're going to begin to grow. Paul says, hey, train yourself to begin to look more like God. Look, here's some things I've I know about training, uh, nobody grows by accident. Nobody progresses by accident. No one grows closer to Jesus by accident. Nobody grows closer to Jesus or grows spiritual or physical progress without sacrifice. If you're going to train, it's going to take intentionality. If you're going to train, it's going to take sacrifice. If you're going to train, it's going to take giving up some things. If you're going to train, it's going to take adding some things. But Paul says, hey, Timothy, train yourself to look like God. Train yourself in the ways of God. Begin to look more like him. Anybody committed today? Let's, let's begin to train ourselves. Let's begin. You say, man, it's been so long I followed Jesus and I'm in the same kind of pattern. Let's start today. Let's start today. Let's pick up some spiritual weights today, and then tomorrow we'll go at it again, and God will begin to work, and God will begin to grow. But look, again, we can do this for the rest of our life, and we're going to grow. We're going to look more like him, but you've got to know you'll never be perfect. In fact, the reason Jesus came was because you're not. 
The reason Jesus came to this earth, the reason Jesus went to the cross, the reason Jesus did what he did is because me and you are not perfect and will not be perfect. Anybody thankful for that? Because of our disobedience, Jesus had to come. And Paul, he explains what, what the gospel is to us in Romans chapter 5. Here's what Paul says. He says, through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So he's talking about Adam. He said, hey, Adam, Adam was disobedient. Adam, Adam didn't go God's way. And because of that, sin entered mankind. He says, because of that, many were made sinners. Because of Adam's disobedience, me and you are all sinners. You say, man, Nate, that ain't fair. You would have done the same thing. You would have. Given the choice to go our own way or God's way, we've all chose ours. Because of that, we're broken. We're sinners, the scripture says. But, Paul says, through Adam, one man, everyone is a sinner now. But then he says, there was another man. There was another man. He says, through the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Jesus was obedient where we were disobedient. Jesus was righteous when we were sinful. Jesus was honest when we lied. Jesus came and lived perfectly obedient to the Father, and through his obedience, many can be saved. Through his perfect obedience, many can be made righteous and know him. And because of that, because of what he's done, because of what he's done for us, we should have a heart and a desire that's transformed and should say, God, I want to be obedient now. I was once against you, I was once in rebellion to you, but because you saved me, because you did what I could not do, now I want my life to honor you. Now I want my life to live in obedience to you. Now I want to worship you, not with just my words, but the way that I live my life. It says, through the obedience of Jesus, many were made righteous. Anybody thankful that we could be made righteous because of Jesus this morning, because of what Jesus has done? So first, the first thing I wanted to challenge you with to look more like Jesus is obedience. Let's be a people, let's be a church that listens to God and does what he says. Listens to God and does what he says. Then secondly, train yourself. Let's go out of here with a spirit that says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue God. I'm determined. I'm going to train myself to be godly, and I'm not going to give up. And then the final thing, and I'm going to ask Pastor Trevor can come back now. The final thing, I hope this encourages you as we close today, is this. You've got a helper. You've got a helper. So in the fall of 2015, I'm sure the majority of you remember, uh, the World Championships of Cycling came to Richmond. You guys remember this? The big bike race? I think they estimated it was close to half a million people, most of them from Europe, came to Richmond for these biking races and championships. And wasn't huge into biking, but it just it sounded sweet to me. So just on, on a day they were here, I just went down there just to see the races. And they were doing that day a 100-mile race. There was a 10-mile loop around the city, and they raced 10 times around that loop. That was the race. And it was mind-blowing. Like the race was crazy. These guys were tucked in, riding so close to each other, flying 30, 40 miles an hour, zooming through the streets. It was nuts. I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. 
And there was things I saw there that I had never seen, it, you know, when I just caught it on TV real quick. There were, there were cars out on the course with the bikers. Now, not public, not like me and you driving to the grocery store, but, but workers and officials and different things from the race were in vehicles zooming down the streets right next to these bikers. And they would like slam on the brakes or they would stop for something right in the middle. And these bikers would just zoom around them real quick. And I'm sitting there watching like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I, I kept thinking somebody was going to die. It was crazy. It was mind-blowing. I was like, this is so cool. So I was observing and watching all this kind of stuff. And, and I saw at the start and the finish line of the 10-mile loop that they did, they had all the cameras and all the clocks and all the officials were there. And many of the coaches of the bikers were at the start and finish line. And I was watching these coaches. They had all their different uniforms on. It looked so sweet, all the different countries. And I was watching the coaches. The coaches would stand at the start and finish line, and they would look up at the TV screens and watch their bikers as they rode. And they would watch and watch and watch. And while they're watching, they would take notes on a giant whiteboard and would write out instructions for their bikers. So they'd say, hey, you need to, you need to catch 100 people on this lap. Or, hey, do you need to gain 30 seconds on this next lap? Or, hey, you have a 20-second lead or whatever. They would write out the instruction, and then when their biker would come around, they would stick out the whiteboard like this, and the bikers would see their message. So then they'd go around again, 10 more miles, go, 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 and they would sit there and watch, write down, 10 miles later, boom. 10 more miles, go, 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 write something down, boom. We'll give them their instruction. They would coach them. It's like, dude, that's crazy. That's awesome. That's kind of cool. But then th this one team caught my eye. It was a team from Sweden. The team was kind of in a pack. They were riding together. And the coach from Sweden was not at the start and finish line. The coach from Sweden, when the, bike start, when the, when the race started, had gotten in one of the vehicles that was riding around the course in the passenger seat. So he's kind of riding out on the course with his guys. And, and this biker from Sweden, he's riding. And again, these guys are flying. They're going. They're booking it. His chain on his bike pops off. So, like, this is not good. Like, he can recover from it, but this is not good. Like, he would have to unclip his feet from his pedals, pull over to the side so he doesn't get run over, get it fixed, get back on and go. And by then, as fast as they were going, his pack was long gone, probably a half mile by the time he got on. So this was bad news. His chain pops off. But what was crazy was the coach that was in the passenger seat that was kind of there had spotted it. And I'm not making this up. What the coach did, the car, while they're flying down the road, the car pulls him next to the bike. The coach puts his window down, leans out of the window, puts the chain back on, puts his hand on the back of the biker, and pushes him forward to give him a boost, and he's right back with his pack. And I'm sitting there on the side like, oh, my God. <laughs> crazy. Like, 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 here, there was two kinds of coaches, okay? There was the kind of coach that every 10 miles said, good job, do this. Good luck, you got it, go get them. Then there was the kind of coach that if there was ever a need, was like, boom, I got you, what you need? Is there a struggle? Boom, I got you. You need some water? No problem. Listen, God is like that kind of coach. God doesn't just save you by his grace. God sustains you by his grace. The same grace that saved you on day one will be the grace that helps you change on day 10,000. God is not a God up in heaven that saves you and says, get it together. But God in his grace and his 
mercy saves us and captures us and then walks the journey with us. He's a helper from heaven. Do you need some joy? He's right there. Do you need some peace? He's got it. Do you need some faith and some strength when you don't have any? We serve a God that is present and helping in us beginning to look more like him. The scripture says in the book of 2 Peter, it says, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has not left you on this journey alone. God has not abandoned you. The journey is tough and the calling is high and on our own. I cannot do it and neither can you. But God is here to help us. God is our helper and with his strength and with his power and with his Holy Spirit, me and you can do what he's called us to do and transform into the people God has called us to be. Amen.